That it's creature o'clock. So ring that buzzer. It sounds like a lion roar. Roar! And open the door to join us for the 35th meeting of the Animal Fan Club. I'm intersectional invertebrate Mike. And I'm just learning about you by sniffing your butt, Meredith. We meet every week at our clubhouse we like to call the Dalmatian Station. To talk about our favorite animals. But we lack in expertise. We make up for an unbridled enthusiasm and childlike wonder. Wow. Saddle up that miniature horse and hold on tight for the furriest, fin-filled, and feathered podcast in all of the kingdom, Animalia. Hey, Meredith. What's up, Mike? Not too much. What's up with you? Oh, man. I've had a week chock full of animals. Was that right? Yeah. Like, super right. What happened? (laughs) What didn't happen? I'll just go through, like, a highlights reel. Last weekend, mowing the lawn, I was being circled, like, the entire last leg by a swallow, otherwise known as a purple martin, specifically. I looked it up, and he was just kind of, like, flying around me the whole time as I was mowing the backyard. It was pretty fun. I felt like a Disney princess. Uh Uh-huh. Who also happens to mow lawns. So, little 21st century Disney princess. Yeah. And then on Tuesday, I went to an actual farm. Whoa. With my mom and her friend, because she volunteers there. And so I got to see mules, a miniature, two miniature horses, a dwarf horse. I saw piggies, like, literally rolling around in the mud. I saw chickens and roosters. Oh. And sheep and a funny cow. Oh. The sheep, like, bleated at me because I was I happened to be holding a head of lettuce, and they, like, definitely thought it was for them. So I was, like, approaching them, and they're like, ah! <laughs> They're so funny. They're like, give me that lettuce. I have all these pictures. I'll post them on the Instagram, the newly revived out of hibernation Instagram. Yeah, thank you for spearheading that effort. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's still going against my natural inclinations because I'm not really into that stuff. Just know... Listeners and viewers, I'm really putting myself out there for you. I think you're doing a great job with it. I think it's well-received. Thank you. I've already gotten comments from it from friends and family. They've been like, wow, Meredith's really delivering with the Instagram. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, that makes me just want to do it even more. And then last night, I was running at the park and... First, I saw, it was like Savage Thursday at the park. Uh Uh-huh. Because first I saw some ants carrying a dead worm. And then I saw, I was like, came around the bend in the trail. And there was a hawk just kind of like sitting like right by the trail. And normally I don't see hawks like around or let alone this close. Sure. So I kind of stopped and like kept jogging, you know, to keep the heart rate up. And... I was like, what is he doing here? He's not flying away. It's not like seeming scared. And then I looked beneath his feet and there was a newly killed rabbit. And so I was like, oh, and I pulled my phone out. And I was like, what I thought was recording. I had this whole long, because I was going to post it. And I had this whole long speech. Like the people playing cricket, like right by me were probably like, what the fuck is she doing? And I like put it back in my fanny pack and kept on running. 
And then by the time I came around again, he had like eviscerated this rabbit. It was like all torn open. I saw him like pulling like organs out. Oh, wow. Everything. Yeah. Crazy. And then by the third time I ran around, the hawk was completely gone. And there were only like a few tufts of fur left of the rabbit. Like this is within, I don't know, 10 minutes. Wow. Which is crazy. Yeah, not wasting any time chomping down on that rabbit, huh? No. And then right above him for all of this was just a blue jay, like in the tree, like right above him, just going, ah, ah, like squawking it out over this hawk. Because apparently they like to chase hawks, they like to antagonize hawks, and they like to imitate hawk calls, perhaps to like warn other birds that they're around, Uh that the hawk is afoot. Wow. Yeah. There's so much action happening with birds, and I'm completely ignorant to all of it. Oh, the bird action is crazy. I'm reading another book about starlings right now, and I'm just, like, in awe of them. They're so freaking intelligent. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm obsessed. That old adage about bird brain is clearly not a good one. Not at all. I mean, like, starlings have the ability to detect patterns in human language better than primates can. Whoa. Yeah. So I'll have to do a longer, more in-depth presentation about this at another time because I'm definitely just like rambling right now. But um, yeah, I'm just, it's been a a week of animals, like for sure. Well, you know, as there is a yin, there must be a yang. I've had a mostly animal-less week generally. Oh. But I've been very in, into science, in particular into space, And I've been watching shows about space probes and there's a live feed from the International Space Station. Oh, yeah. That you can watch on YouTube. That's cool. Yeah. It's like a view of Earth from the space station. And it's not necessarily live all the time. You know, there's definitely moments of signal loss and moments where they're just kind of showing old footage. Mm -hmm. But there is a map showing where the space station is at any given moment it because it takes about 90 minutes to orbit the earth so you can see on the map where it is on its orbit (gasps) that's really cool i should look into that yeah it was pretty awesome um do they but they they just show the earth they're not like showing like the goings-ons inside the iss no but there is another live stream that was showing spacewalks and showing more like mission footage so okay there's other options available too for all you space station heads out there. I have a question for the space station. Is this the right place to voice this? What do you do about space dumps? Like, how do you take a space dump? Like a poop poop? Yeah. Well, they have these, like, special suits and stuff. That's, like, the whole thing is that there's... Poop suits? <laughs> yeah, like poop suits and, like, diapies. Because if you're on a spacewalk and you got to pee, you just pee in your suit. Wow. That sounds like me when I was little at the beach, peeing in my suit. Yeah, you were... Just a few steps away from becoming an astronaut. Wow, I can do anything, just like Barbie promised me. On the subject of lagomorphs, which you brought up earlier with your rabbit story. Yeah. I've been feeling that way. I've been eating a lot of greens, like lots of lettuces and collard greens and kales and assorted just spinaches and everything. It's been a bit of a green festival over here that will make for a good space dump i love that i had some greens for dinner pulled fresh out of that farm garden where i was the other day the chickens are so cute they're like actually really adorable and they kept they like watching hens run is a new favorite thing 
And then I also watched this video that Anthony sent me. Like some guy like went to a dollar store and bought a baby doll and ripped its arms off and then rigged up like a like kind of a wire thing to attach the two arms to one another. And then this wire thing like slipped down over like a rooster's back. So this rooster was like running around looking like real yoked with these arms. <laughs> Not yoked. I mean, they did. For a rooster, these were like yoked rooster arms. Sure. Yes, they were from a baby doll. But in the context of rooster appendage, they looked like he had been pumping some iron. Yeah. Well, on that subject, Meredith, I think that we should jump right in. I think we should. You go first today, right? I sure do. And I am so excited about this one. Well, then let's kick it off with the old taxonomy cheer. Ready? Okay. Taxonomy, you. Texana we. Texana who. Texana me. Kingdom. Animalia. Oh, you're a savage beast. Phylum. Chordata. Vertebrae for days with a Z. Class. Mammalia. I'm trying to manage my octopus drama. Order. Ardeodactyla. Who's who's? Family. Suey day. Swine times the right time. Genus. Bacocoeris. According to Disney, they love to fart. Species. Bacocoeris africanus. They're metal. They're fast. Even in high heels, it's the common warthog. Uh, Hakuna Matata, Meredith. Hakuna Matata! It's uh, one half of Timon and Pumbaa. It's Pumbaa. Thrilling. And these guys are so fun. I'm so glad to finally be doing them. And I actually was like, I'm going to do something for my animal fact file this week. And I was flipping through. And lo and behold... There comes the warthog, and I was like, done and done. This is what we're doing. And I'm so glad I did. They're so goofy, and they're so fun. And they're really, there's like, they, they're very, like, noble, it turns out. They're sensitive souls, though they seem thick-skinned. Yes. And it hurt, or wait, and it, what's the other lyric? Go downwind. I'm a sensitive soul, though I seem thick-skinned. And it hurt. That my friends never stood downwind. Downwind. Yeah. <laughs> you know, interestingly enough, in all my research, which was not very extensive, but there was nothing about them farting. Like, nothing at all. They probably just threw that one in there for kids like me that would, like, really identify. Sure. And kind of the, like, big guy trope, you know, chubby guy jokes. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. But Pumbaa was always one of my favorite parts of The Lion King, like, by far. Understandably. And here I am today. You know what I thought was really funny, just to touch on tax facts real quick. So we know Artiodactyla. It's, like, one of our favorite things to talk about. Yeah. Who's who's? Who's who's? Even Toad Undulate. Undulate Squad. But when you get to family, it's Suey Day. Like, Suey! 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 Suey Day. Isn't that cute? It's adorable. But anyway, I just had to like highlight that fact. Like if you ever forget the pig family, it's Suey Day. <laughs> the species is our Facocorius africanus. And um, there's actually three subspecies here, but they're all under the heading of like common warthog. Uh-huh. Right? Sure. Just for completion's sake, the three subspecies are the southern the Eritrean, and the Nolan warthog? I mean, like, who is Nolan and why does he get a warthog? I'm sure I don't know. Inquiring minds want to know. 
that they do. Now, this is like the best part of this presentation is talking about their appearance because they're so funny because you look at them straight on and they almost kind of look like they're smiling because of their two sets of tusks, kind of the way they like come out away from their face, almost simulating like a toothy grin. They have like two sets of under tusks. Imagine like our mouths, right? So we've got top teeth and bottom teeth. Uh huh. The tusks on top are actually the canines that grow like pretty much like 90 degrees out and up out of the mouth. Oh. And then the bottom ones are bottom teeth that actually protrude right below the top tusks and actually scrape against the top tusks when the mouth opens and closes, which actually sharpens the bottom tusks and do like very sharp points. Wow, that is metal. Isn't that the most metal? And then another metal thing is that they've got that like crazy bristly mane. And then our dear Walter the Warthog from the Cincinnati Zoo. I remember his mane being like particularly long and black. Yes, the Pantene Pro-V battle hair moment. Yes, exactly. And so exact same for our African warthogs, not just zoo warthogs. And then let's see, what else do we have? Oh, and I've never realized this. The term warthogs comes from the fact that they've got two sets of warts, essentially, gristly warts, to quote the animal fact file, that protrude from their face. So like kind of like where our lower cheeks would be, and then two really long pointy ones, like kind of right below their eyes, like kind of at the cheekbone level. Wow. Which is super goofy looking. And I actually kind of have never noticed it on warthogs before. They're definitely more pronounced on the males. And they're not very pronounced on when I went to look at pictures of Pumbaa. They're not like animated in there super um, obviously. Sure. But yeah, they've got these weird protrusions on the sides of their face. And it's not really clear what evolutionary function they serve because they're kind of like right below the eyes, kind of offset below the eyes, caddy corner to the eyes. So maybe it kind of protects the eyes when they get in fights with other male warthogs with those tusks. Yeah. They could be like tusk lenses, tusk protectors. Tusk tectors. Tusk tectors. Exactly. Brand clubby. Get on it. Oh, and this other fact, they've got these tassely tails. So these long tails that have like kind of furry tassels on the end. But when they run, they stick straight up, <laughs> which is like the cutest thing. Adorable. That's too cute. One of my, I remember this from being little, like one of my favorite pictures in the whole animal fact file is a picture of a mommy and three little warthogs running behind her. And all four of them have their tails like ramrod straight up in the air. <laughs> like mother, like children, right? It's too cute. Too cute. Well, on the subject of warthog hair, that boar's hair is a common, like, bristle for brushes, you know? Really? Like, you see it for hair brushes and for other types of brushes. Boar's hair bristle brushes. That's fun. And does that make kind of like a, just a swishy sound? I mean, it's like a coarse hair, you know? It's like a coarse brush. So how would you use it in a musical context? Well, I don't know that I would use it in a musical. I meant, for, no, it's like for, not for musical brushes. You thought I meant drum brushes. I did. I just no. went there automatically. No, I mean like brushes that like non-drummers use oh. for like <laughs> cleaning things or perhaps their hair. Forgive me. No, it's okay. <laughs> the brushes that Meredith's thinking of are the wire brushes used most commonly on drum set for 
jazz type grooves and other grooves as well. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And I was like, wow, I've never seen like actual like brush, like bristly brushes being used before. Yeah, I'm sure somebody would make them if, you know, they felt like they could swindle enough 18 to 22 year old percussionists into buying one more implement. Yeah, put it in a booth at PASIC. All right, let's talk habitat. Sub-Saharan African grasslands, because again, this is the Facocoeris africanus. So they live in Sub-Saharan African grasslands, and actually kind of like it extends um, kind of down like the eastern side of Africa, and then kind of into um, not like not quite South Africa, but kind of the areas uh, just north of that. And they love these grasslands because they're actual grazers, so they'll eat a lot of grasses and um, kind of root vegetables and some bugs, stuff like that. So they're omnivorous. Omnivorous. <laughs> I like omnivorous. It sounds more fun. Yeah. But actually what I, another very cute fact is they actually, they can't reach the ground with their heads. So they actually have to get down kind of onto their knees, which are technically their wrists, but they have to get down onto them to eat. So they're almost like genuflecting, like bowing to the great Lord that gives them their sustenance Ugh. when they eat. And it's so cute because of this, they like they're equipped with little like knee pads or wrist pads, like uh-huh. more uh, like calcified things to protect that joint or hog wrist pads. Ugh. Like they're rollerblading. It makes me so happy. Like the picture of it is so cute in the animal fact file. It's like a brother and sister, like leaning down at a stream, just like bowing before the stream. It's so cute. Precious. Oh, I love them. And then, um, so as far as like where they habitate, uh, their domiciles, they occupy most often um, abandoned aardvark nests. <laughs> it's a little creature cooperation. Yeah, creature exchange. Creature exchange, exactly. And so warthogs in general are like very defensive and they're fiercely protective of their broods or their litters. And actually, guess what a group of warthogs is called? Uh, an outbreak. No, Mike, it's a sounder. Oh. A sounder of warthogs. They're so grunty. They're grunty. I mean, I'm just assuming that. I hope. But yeah, it seems like they're pretty grunty. To quote the wildlife fact file directly, the warthog is renowned for its courage in defending its family. Renowned for its courage. So part of this comes from the fact that like when the adult warthogs go into their little um, aardvark burrow, they go in butt first so their tusks can stay out as like a defense. Cute. So they can keep their eyes out and tusks out just in case something's lurking, waiting for them to be in like a vulnerable position. Yeah. So I talked about the diet and getting onto their knee pads. Yeah, so as far as like the tusks and what they're used for, it's not necessarily like defending a territory because these are animals, they live in these groups, these sounders. So they're not generally fighting for territory, but they do... Males will challenge each other for mates, which brings us to our favorite part, mating rituals of warthogs. Yes. They talk about kind of two different strategies. One is a staying strategy in which the male warthog will kind of like find a female warthog and kind of just like hang around her, kind of hoping for 
for the spark, if you will. Yeah. Or he'll kind of like hang around a valuable resource to her. Oh. So he's just like kind of one of those weird dudes that's always just kind of lurking and you're like, go away. This isn't going to work. This isn't a good strategy. But that's called the staying strategy. Okay. And then the other strategy, I didn't write down what the name was, but it's a, it's more of like a competition strategy Well, where they'll, oh, I think it was called the searching strategy. Yeah. So they'll go search for like a female, like a estruous or like a fertile female. Mm. So a female who should be in the mood and... Often he'll compete with the other boars, which is a male warthog, for her hand in mating. Well, her hoof. Her hoof in mating. Thank you. But yeah, in both cases, there's just kind of this eventual following around of the woman, just following and following and following. And at which point he'll kind of like circle her and then do the mount and then the deed is done. But apparently it's like very noisy. Uh-huh. When they do it. Sure. Sounders, right? I bet. When the babies do come, the litters are generally like two to four little piglets. Some mommies will actually adopt like orphan piglets. And it's not said to be like a case of mistaken identity or anything like that. But it's like out of an altruistic. It's coming from an altruistic place. Sure. That's why I meant when they're like, they're very noble and they're renowned for their courage, remember? Yeah, I remember you saying that. And there's actually a term for this called allo-sucking. Allo-sucking? Allo-sucking. When like the mom will kind of adopt orphan or will suckle, I guess, orphan piglets. Cute. I know. So their biggest threats are essentially like the main like predators of the savannah. So like wild dogs, hyenas, tiger, not tigers. Who wrote tigers in here? Not me. An imposter. Tigers don't live in Africa. Uh, lions, leopards, crocodiles. And so they can actually defend themselves with their tusks. But probably more effective a defense is the fact that they can run at like 30 miles an hour. Brisk. Whose hooves? These hooves are booking it. Yeah, they're trampling away. They can be aggressive, it turns out, because they are, like, very um, defensive of their family units and they're young. There was a zookeeper killed by a warthog. No. In, like, 1965 in Germany. Oh, my. Just be careful. Just because they're small and, like, the most adorable creatures ever. Well, they're not particularly small. Hold on. Let me consult the fact file real quick. They had this... In a little blurb. Hold on. Sure. So they're about 40 to 60 inches long, 30 inches to the shoulder, and they can go from like 130 to 265 pounds. Yikes. So that's a big span. I would say that's pretty typical human weight. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that's like about all I have for them, but I just can't impress upon all of you enough like how much, how much joy they bring me. Just looking at the pictures of them, it's just so cute. Yeah, I mean, I loved your warthog information. I thought it was really great. Thank you. Yeah, so look them up. They're great to look at pictures of because they're just so cute. And also when you finally, like, realize, oh, yeah, they've got these weird protrusions coming off of their face. (laughs) Hence their name. They look like big, like, nipples almost. It's weird. Very weird. It sounds like kind of um, severe. Sounds like something I'd like to take a look at, though. You should. It does look like some weird creature goof him up, but I'm sure there's some reason. (laughs) Yeah, I love a creature goof him up. Me too. Well, let's take a break. Yeah. What's up, Peter? 
just swimming around, chopping on some delicious snacks. How about you, Jennifer? I'm just back from Shark in the Beach. I love summer. Your dorsal fin does look brighter and sun-kissed. You must have spent hours in the sun. Actually, Peter, I use Sunfin, the new fin lightener from Brand Clubby. Wait a minute. That change in hue comes from a bottle? It looks so natural. Well, that's the Brand Clubby difference. I use Chondrichthys Cream Rinse, which is specially formulated for cartilaginous fins. Amazing. Do they have options for our ray-finned friends? And food. Of course! The Actinopterygii Advanced Formula is fit for all of our ray-finned friends. And our ray-finned dinners. On that note, Peter, Sunfin is an all-natural formula that's safe to eat, so your food can match your follicles. Bless you, Brand Clubby. They really are forward-thinking. I'm going to pick mine up today. I prefer to buy direct from Brand Clubby's web portal. They send me regular eel mails with coupons. I'm going to use code PETER15 at checkout to save 15%. That sounds like a great plan, Peter. Let's get a quick snack so you have energy to type with your pectoral fins. Chop, 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 chop. Stuffed animal memories are the best kind of memories. Teddy bears, cows, and cow puppies. Would you tell us, please? Oh, and we're back. More stuffed animal memories, Meredith. <laughs> Another rousing edition. I'm thrilled. <laughs> well, I think that this is not a particular stuffed animal, but it's a memory of stuffed animals and acquisition right. of so many stuffed animals that I have memories with, or perhaps stuffed animals with whom I have memories. And that is the animal claw machine, the stuffed animal claw machine. Yes. That... I would always play every time one was encountered, most commonly at a highway rest area somewhere between Cleveland and Pittsburgh when we would drive out there to see my family when I was growing up. Yeah. On the Ohio Turnpike or the Pennsylvania Turnpike or whatever. I don't even really, I don't know what roads. I was riding in the back seat. And I've always loved and adored these claw machines. I play them every chance I have, still continuously as an adult. I occasionally win them. And, Meredith, I have a stuffed animal within arm's reach that I won at the claw machine <laughs> at the Catskeller, which is the on-campus bar at UC. And I have a photo. I think you were there. I think it was, like, a small group yeah, of frog. us. Yeah, the frog. Yeah, the frog. Yeah. And it's, I, I still have it with moment. me. I remember It was right before Genevieve, friend of the pod. It was right before her senior recital. Well, master's recital, yes. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, that's our senior recital. Our senior recital. Thank you. I do remember that frog. That's so funny. Yeah. And I remember, I think I even like posted this on Facebook back when I did Facebook. And I think the caption was, Mike looks supremely okay with froggy. <laughs> yeah, like I was that. definitely satisfied with it. But yeah, oh, that's my, I love that. Yeah, that's my particular memory and sort of a class of memories, you know, a clade of memories, if you yeah. will. Yeah. Mine's kind of a... um of memories as well because I was kind of thinking through my stuffed animals of which I had many and then I, I thought of Finnegan the seal he was like a seal stuffed animal and I often remember and I think it's still visible on him if I went down to the basement and dug him out of the stuffed animal 
playpen in the basement. But I think there's still like crusted macaroni and cheese because either my brother or I tried to make him eat macaroni and cheese. And so I always remember this little seal stuffed animal whose name was Finnegan, which I still think is pretty great. It's a great name. It's a good name. Yeah. Good name for a seal. We tried to make it eat mac and cheese and it was just like crusted around his mouth. But he was also that you can always tell a really well-loved stuffed animal because like the fur that was once soft gets kind of all matted and not so attractive anymore. Yeah. Actually, a lot of my stuffed animals kind of have that. But um, yeah, he was super cute. And this opens up into a much larger thing that I would do when I was younger and that it was like this whole ritual I had, one of many of my stuffed animal rituals and that when I would clean my room, I would always put on this CD I had that was the very best, not just the best, but the very best of Andrew Lloyd Webber. Oh. And I would kind of like match the speed at which I could clean my room to like where I would get in that album. Uh Uh-huh. And part of cleaning my room was this very elaborate display of all of my stuffed animals in one corner of my bed. Naturally. Because I had a day bed. Yeah. There was a plan. Like, there was an architecture to it, like, which animals served as, like, the bottom layer and which ones would be on, like, the subsequent layers on top. They kind of formed a pyramid. Uh-huh. I think Finnegan always kind of resided, like, tucked in next to, like, Henrietta Hippo. But anyway, I could never really get any faster than like the sixth track, which was Music of the Night from Phantom of the Opera. So I have a lot of memories of like constructing my stuffed animal pile meticulously to Music of the Night, sung by Michael Crawford, the original Phantom. Wow, the OP. (laughs) I don't think I've ever told a story more chock full of nerdy markers (laughs) than I have in this moment. Yeah, it's definitely uh, shows your intersectionalism. Shows something. I don't know. So that's my stuffed animal memory. Well, thank you for sharing. Thank you. I was so excited to see Froggy again. Camo Froggy. Camo Froggy. There he is. I love it. All right. Well, till next time. Stuffed animal memories are the best kind of memories. Teddy bears, cows, and cow puppies. Would you tell us, please? Texana you. Texana we. Texana who? Texana me. Kingdom. Animalia. Obvi. Phylum. Cordata. Dorsal nerve cords. Class. Mammalia. Furry like us. Order. Carnivora. Generally meat eaters. Family. Ursidae. Bears. Rawr. Genus. Hylerpopata, only one extant species. Species. Manaloica, the giant panda. Charismatic megafauna eats bamboo. <gasps> pandas? Yep, we're doing pandas. Oh, what a great episode. I mean, it is mammal heavy, but that's okay. It is mammal heavy. Like I said, I'm just trying to get over my octopus trauma, so this is very soothing. It's like a balm. Well, hey. A post-octopus balm. I'm happy that I can help you on your post-octopus journey, I guess. Thank you, thank you. So, Meredith, the literal meaning of the Chinese is bear cat or cat bear oh. or panda. So it's also feeling a little home. Go bear cats. Yeah. see a lot of bear cats um, logo-age around these parts. Yeah. So let's do a little bit of tax facts. We have the class mammalia, furry mammals, the order carnivora, generally meat eaters. 
family, Ursidae, now we're into bears. Mm-hmm. And then the genus is where we break off into pandas and the extinct relatives of pandas. Mm-hmm. There was initially confusion about whether it was a raccoon or a bear, but molecular studies show that the panda bear is, in fact, a true bear. And it diverged about 19 million years ago from the common ancestors of all Ursidae. And it's the most basal member of the family, meaning that it's closer to the root than the great majority of the other species. Hmm. So as such, it's been referred to as a living fossil. Oh. Isn't that wild? That I would have never... Yeah, when you think like fossil animals, you think like crocodiles or like cockroaches or trilobites or things like that. Not a cute little panda bear. Exactly. And the name panda was borrowed from English into French, and we're unsure of the origin of the French word. It might be based on the Nepali word ponya, possibly referring to the adapted wrist bone of the Nepali native red panda, which is a neighboring mustaloid and not a true bear. Red pandas are soups cute. Yeah, they're not bears, they're mustelids. What's a mustelid? Uh, it's another carnivorous mammal. They're like small, I think skunks are also mustelids. That sounds right. Okay. They're like those kinds of, that corner of creatures. <laughs> Creature corner. We have two subspecies, the one that we all think about, and then there's another one, the Quinlan panda, which is more light brown and white than black and white. Oh, I just don't know I've ever seen a picture of that. Yeah, it's I hadn't until I was doing this research. The black and white is believed to be good for camouflage because the black is kind of lets the panda hide in forests and dark wooded places. And the white allows it to hide in the snow because they spend so much time traveling that they're in lots of different places. Yeah. So they kind of have like a diverse habitat so the black and white is a sort of compromise for camouflage interesting Mm. the adults are like four to six feet approximately they have a tail that's four to six inches average adults weigh between 220 to 250 pounds but males can weigh up to 350 pounds and ladies up to about 275 so the women are smaller than the men yeah their paw has a thumb (gasps) and five fingers But the thumb isn't an actual thumb. It's a modified sesamoid bone, (laughs) which is a type of bone that's embedded within a tendon or a muscle. Your kneecap is an example of a sesamoid bone. Yeah, because you can like kind of move it around. Like you can feel that it's not really like attached to your like full musculature. I mean, your full like skeleture. I wish it was better attached on my right knee. (laughs) Yeah, I just wish my right knee in general wasn't so angry at me all the time. Yeah, same. Knees, right? They suck. God, knees are a good place for pain. Yeah. A typical lifespan is like 20 years in the wild or 30 years in captivity. The oldest ever in captivity was 38, Gia Gia. Oh. She died like about five years ago, I think. So, Meredith, you may be wondering, what's the deal? What's their deal? Giant pandas, what do they do all day? I think I have an idea. Well, yeah. What's your guess? They eat. They eat bamboo. They eat a lot of bamboo. They spend more than half of their day eating. Yeah. Bamboo is very high in fiber and low in protein. Mm. The panda in carnivora is unique because it's herbivorous. So it doesn't eat any meat. Right. So they only eat bamboo. But their digestive system isn't really set up for that. 
and bamboo's high in fiber and low in protein, and the panda doesn't digest it very well. So it eats like 20 to 40 pounds of bamboo a day. Yeah. Which means it poops 20 to 40 pounds of bamboo poop, which is made up largely of undigested pieces of bamboo. (laughs) They are such prolific poopers that sometimes there just isn't enough time in the day to poop, so they will poop while they nap. Whoa. That's optimum pooping. There used to be this dog food commercial that I loved. It had this dog kind of looking proud, and it was like, this is Rusty. He's not just a pooper. He's an optimum pooper. And I was like, I want somebody to call me Rusty and an optimum pooper. (laughs) So it seems like the pandas are actually the optimum poopers. Because I don't think Rusty, well, as long as nothing's wrong with him, I don't think Rusty's pooping while he sleeps. Yeah, it doesn't sound like Rusty's doing that, even though he's an optimum pooper. Right. So they were formerly endangered, but now they're vulnerable. So there has been success in efforts for repopulation, but total wild population is still pretty low. I saw a figure of about 1,750 total in like the wild in 2004 or so. Oh, wow. But I don't have an updated figure on that handy. Their main threat is actually a loss of bamboo, not hunters or predators. So it's more about habitat loss because they have to eat so much of the stuff. I just still can't get over the fact that like, and I can't believe I've never thought about this before until now. The fact that we think of bears generally as being so vicious and so like they will attack you and you got to like on your camping, you got to like string up all your food so they can't get it. Like they're such eaters carnivorous eaters and then pandas which are true bears they don't don't eat any meat at all like how did that i just like how did that happen i mean it must have just been opportunity yeah you know like it must have just evolved over time where it was part of their diet and then it became all of their diet you know because they have a few adaptations for it but it's strange because it's also such an old species and a so-called basal species basal species It's a new word. Basil? Basil. Yeah, it's B-A-S-A-L. Yeah. Basil. Basil. I think it's basil. Basil. Yeah. And so you'd think it would eat meat. Yeah. Being a carnivora, being adapted to eat carnivorous things. So I guess it just raises lines of inquiry, or it opens lines of inquiry about what do bears eat, and what's the history uh, and context, and evolution of bear cuisine i'm just gonna venture a guess that you know like in the teenage stage whatever the equivalent of that would be in terms of their evolution so kind of like early in their evolution they're like i'm gonna be a vegan and then it just kind of stuck yeah respect yeah i mean i went through that phase i was a vegetarian for like 15 years but it all started when i was like 15 i think that's a pretty good guess yeah i'll i will agree with that All right, Meredith, let's hop to your favorite, panda romance. Yeah, which seems to be pretty fraught. Yeah, notoriously difficult to get pandas to reproduce in captivity. Yeah. So sexual maturity with the pandas happens between ages four and eight, and they may be reproductive until age 20. Mating seasons between March and May, and the female goes into estrus for two to three days, and that only happens once a year. Wow. So it's not like, like the warthogs were seasonal breeders. So it happens multiple times. And that's a really short window too, March to May. But only two days within that where she's like, right. 
nuts. Yeah. Yeah, no wonder it's so difficult. It's cosmic. It really is. Copulation will take between 30 seconds and five minutes, but the males might mount repeatedly to help ensure successful fertilization. Oh, you go, boys. Yeah. And then gestation is 95 to 165 days, which feels like a big variation. That's a huge variation. In humans, that would never be the case. Yeah, a 60-day difference. It could be 95 days or 160 days. Crazy. Yeah, I know. In my research, I found that the babies that are born are the smallest relative to the size of the mother of all placental mammals. Really? They're only five ounces. And mom might weigh, you know, over 200 pounds. Right. Wow. It takes them 75 to 80 days to crawl. (gasps) But by one year, the babies are about 100 pounds. And they'll stay with mommy until they're like 18 months to two years. They're helpless when they're born. They're blind. They can't do anything. And in the wild, if a mother happens to have two twins, twins are a born about half the time with pandas, Hmm. but only one will survive, and the mother will just pick the stronger of the two. And one of the beliefs is that she can't produce enough milk for two cubs because of her bamboo diet, and she doesn't store any fat. Oh my gosh. She doesn't store any fat. No. Why do they look so roly-poly and chubby? I don't know for sure. Maybe it's just a lot of loose skin. You know? Yeah, a lot of and a lot of floof. Yeah, just so much floof. Oh. <laughs> and then the dad doesn't stick around. He just leaves. He doesn't help raise the kids. I could be really trite and be like <laughs> typical, but we've learned that that's like so not typical in the animal world. There's so many times when the mom is like, "Peace out." Right. You got this, dad. Right. Dudes take the broods. Yeah. Yeah, this is not a dudes take the broods situation. No. In July of 2009, Chinese scientists confirmed the birth of the first cub conceived through artificial insemination using frozen sperm. And this is good in terms of saving the species. You know, granted, this was 11 years ago, but it's just an animal that has a lot of focus on it, you know, as charismatic megafauna. Right. Something that we all know and recognize. There's just a lot of concern with how to get these guys reproducing and these ladies reproducing, you know? Well, it turns out from what we saw at the beginning of quarantine, when those two pandas like actually started mating, it was like, they just need less humans, fewer humans around ogling them, I guess. Wow. That's right. That feels like four lifetimes ago. I'd forgotten that. Doesn't it? I know. We did mention it on here. Yeah, we did. Wow. Well, that's the extent of my panda information. Do you have any panda queries, concerns, traumas? Um, More just like comments from videos I've seen. Do you remember that viral video of the panda? It was like a baby panda. He's like sitting. It's a they're captive, but they're like sitting in a pen and the baby panda sneezes and it like echoes and it's like really loud and it like visibly startles the mother. Yeah, I do remember that. I've seen that. Very cute. And then there was another one I saw that was like a compilation of um like apparently baby pandas are just super duper clumsy. It was just, like, a whole reel of them, like, falling off of shit. Yeah, and they don't seem to really be, like, phased by it or even hurt at all. They're just, like, these roly-poly little, like, goofballs. Well, yeah. I mean, they're adorable. Pandas are super cute, you know? There's no way around it. There is no way around it. Do you have a pulse? You think pandas are cute. Amen. I'm sure there's some, like, contrarian, like, 17-year-old boy out there somewhere, like, 
you know what? I fucking hate pandas. Yeah, but I don't like to think about that person's existence because, you know, maybe one day they'll find panda happiness. But until that day, I want them to take their panda negativity away from my face. Take your panda negativity away from my face. (laughs) Cool. Well, let's take a break. Yeah. Poppy, you're shaking. Are you okay? Bertha, I, I, I just narrowly escaped Mr. Hawk. He, he was so close I could see every detail on his terrifying talons. Oh no, Poppy, how traumatizing. How did you get away in time? Uh, I was able to run into a rotting tree stump. But to make matters worse, there was also a human skull in there, only partially decomposed. So I guess that means it was kind of fresh. Ugh, can a rabbit catch a break? Yes. Yes, Poppy. In fact, you can. Thanks to Brand Clubby. Tell me more? Brand Clubby has done it again. This time, they have harnessed the potential in the centuries-old antagonism between hawks and blue jays to bring us the new blue jay hawk squawking heralds. Bertha, wait. Did I hear you correctly? Did you say blue jays? Aren't they mean? Why would they want to help us rabbits? Well, Poppy, these aren't just any blue jays. These are brand clubby blue jays, which means that they are highly trained and specialized in doing what they do best, squawking their butts off whenever a hawk comes around. It's like your own personal alarm system warning you to lay low when Mr. Hawk circles above. How do I keep them from flying away from our den? A bird's gotta fly, Bertha. Poppy, don't you know by now that brand clubby thinks of everything? These jays are bred for their loyalty, so as long as you keep them supplied with acorns and bugs, they are your alarms for life. Oh, Bertha, I think I really need my own team of blue jay hawk squawking heralds. Where do I begin? Just check out Brand Clubby's website and use code I'm Not Hawk Food for a free stealth jay upgrade. This special jay division is trained not only to squawk hawk warnings, but they will also chase Mr. Hawk away all the while letting him know he isn't welcome here. Thanks, Bertha. You're a great friend. And thanks, Brand Clubby. I owe you my life. (laughs) Oh, barley today. Yeah, strong barley with a slight note of coriander. Oh, I love coriander. And a subtle bergamot. Oh! Oh, we're like fancy feedback today. Yeah, we sure are. But we're definitely in the feedback. We're in it. But we don't normally get bergamot, so I'm impressed. Okay. Well, Lauren from Naples asks, or says, I love folk music. What kind of animal shares my musical taste? Hmm. Wow. That's a great question. That is a great question. So what do we think of when we think of folk music? We think of like kind of earthy, acoustic, um, kind of like salt of the earth, like Woody Guthrie types. Yeah, I think marmots. I think like... Marmots! Marmots and mustelids. Ooh, yeah, folk skunks. Yeah, mammals. I'd say... I'd say of the folk music audience, the majority are mammals. I would say that. I definitely agree with you. Though I did have kind of like a patriotic thing in my brain, like 
I could see an eagle being really into, like, this land is your land. Yeah, part of me feels like the eagle doesn't want to be a national symbol and is maybe feels like it's not supposed to be and just kind of lives its life as it does. Yeah, it was kind of foisted upon him. I still agree with Ben Franklin in that it should have been the turkey, but um, that's really not part of this question at all. Right. Stop it, Meredith. Um, oh. But then again, too, I... Growing up with, like, Sesame Street and all those things, seeing Kermit strumming a banjo on a log. Like, I kind of love the idea of a little folk, like, froggy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. Because I feel like they've got, like, good fingers for banjo. Okay. (laughs) They're They're webbed banjo fingers. (laughs) So we're saying, like, frogs and mustelids and mammals, generally small mammals... Sure. Like, yeah. Because, like, or maybe some beavers in there, too. Maybe some, like, pond dwelling yeah. friends. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. I love it. Yeah. What's next? Ginny from Sydney asks Do elephants prefer musical theater or opera? <laughs> I love this question. Uh, yeah. I am just going to go ahead and say it. They prefer opera. It is grandiose, it is dramatic, dramatique. Mm-hmm. It is just full of portent. It's more stimulating to their ears, which hear low frequencies very well because of the opera house setting and musical theater and its kind of amplified setting tends to not be quite so delicious. Bass-wise, I just think that in overall, I can't imagine a pachyderm at a musical, but I can at an opera. Absolutely. Because they're so, like, I agree with you completely. I see them as kind of these, like, old, wise souls. And not to say that I don't know plenty of old, wise souls that love musical theater but i just think there's something very erudite about operas and i could just see elephants as being very erudite in general and yeah all about the it's all about the bass with the elephant for sure and i could see them particularly being into verity because i feel like verity writes good bass lines and those bass drum hits yes so yeah i mean Definitely not a house divided on this one. Yeah, opera. Elephants prefer opera, Jenny. For sure. Ding, 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 ding. Now, George from Richmond wants to know, what animal would you least want to share a bed with? Not like in the romantic kind of way, but more if you were like on a business trip together and wanted to save money kind of way. So least want to share a bed with. I'm going to go ahead and say octopus. Whoa, you know what I was going to say? Cassowary. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) You picked my creepy animal and I picked your creepy animal. Whoa. (laughs) Whoa, Meredith. (laughs) Whoa. Okay, well, my reasons for the octopus are I just feel like it would maybe get a little handsy and... Yeah, a little tentacly. It'd just be inappropriate. And I don't know, it's kind of slimy. It would probably get slime on me. And Ew. Although I've gone on a mollusk journey, I'm not quite ready to share a bed with a mollusk. Sharing a bed with a mollusk is no in no way part of the mollusk journey. No, it's not. Hopefully. It's funny, I completely agree with you. I would have said octopus had I not been kind of like had cassowaries on the brain. Sure. Because this kind of relates to, you know, sharing a bed with Anthony, who often has like really gnarly like foot talons. 
I'm always afraid I'm gonna get scraped. Yeah. Just like I would sharing the bed with those like knife talons on the cassowary foot. Well. I don't want that. I don't want to wake up with a bleeding gash in my calf. Yeah. Fuck no. I think it's telling that both of our positions are appendage related, that we're just yeah. not trusting of their appendages. No, definitely not. You know, some people are like thrashers in their sleep. Like what could be worse than being stuck with a thrashing cassowary in bed? I'm sure I don't know. Well, if any of you out there know, please write in and tell us. Animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. And also keep those questions coming. We love to hear from you. So Meredith, are fish positions octopuses or cassowaries? Yeah, and or. <laughs> and or. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Great. Okay. All right. We're done. I love it. Animal Fan Club is created and produced by us, Meredith Jurgens and Mike Luno. We also create all our original music and sonic experiences. Send us your listener feedback questions to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at animalfanclubpod, at Meredith Jurgens and at Mike underscore Luno. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on your favorite app. That really helps us out. Thanks for listening to our show. We hope it makes your heart and spirit glow. We'll be here next week for another meeting of the Animal Fan Club. <laughs>